Drive Worship Band, always a pleasure when you lead us in worship of our great Heavenly Father. I think we all can agree in marriage it's pretty a helpful thing to know what it is that your spouse likes and the things that your spouse doesn't like. So, of course, you can focus on the things your spouse likes and avoid those things that your spouse doesn't like. It became very clear to me very early on in my marriage that there are few things that my wife dislikes more than bugs. And the bug that she hates most of all is the dreaded mosquito. Mosquito, she hates them. Absolutely hates them. Now she hates them, but I got to admit, they sure seem to love her. We went, we were on our honeymoon in Maui, beautiful island of Maui. We went on this beautiful hike up to this gorgeous waterfall. Got back from the hike. She had 30, count them, 30 mosquito bites all over her legs. Every bride's dream. Legs covered with mosquito bites on the honeymoon. I did not have a single one. Took some time later, but I finally talked her into a trip to Costa Rica. Now, she was just absolutely freaked out over the jungle mosquitoes that were going to be down there. She almost literally had a can of repellent in both hands the entire trip along. And we're not talking about off here. We're talking about the real stuff you can only get down there that you glow in the dark for about two days afterwards. But it keeps the bugs off. And she's just constantly enveloping herself in a cloud of bug spray for about a week straight. My wife absolutely hates mosquitoes. She wants nothing to do with them. We can't even live near them. And as far as I can tell, I think there's mosquitoes on most of the planet. There's about a 10 square mile area in Orange County where I think we can leave. We can never move from there. Her body can't even tolerate them. She's got an allergic reaction to them. She's got such an aversion, such an incompatibility with mosquitoes that she will go out of her way to avoid any situation that might even have them, and she'll use anything at her disposal to fight them. Now you might say, well, a little bit extreme, but you've got to admit that's pretty effective if you want to avoid the negative effects of mosquitoes. Now, you see, we'd be well served as Christians to utilize the same approach, not with, not with mosquitoes, but with sin, because way too many Christians have a way too casual attitude about sin. We know it's there, but we don't fight it. We don't flee from it. We just kind of let it hang around. And it's there in our relationships. And it's there in the TV shows that we watch. And it's there in the magazines that we read. As you were going to see in our passage tonight, as Christians, our lives are now incompatible with sin. It's like my wife with mosquitoes. We should want nothing to do with that. Our body should not even be able to tolerate sin. If we're going to effectively live for God in our life, we have got to understand how incompatible a godly life is with sin. We've got no business being around sin, being associated with the darkness. But instead, we've got to embrace our new nature, our true nature, as children of light. And that's what we're going to see in our passage tonight. So why don't you go ahead and turn there in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. And we're going to see this incompatibility, this big fight between the light and the darkness. And Paul you can tell us there's no middle ground here. We've got to decide. Either we're going to follow the light or we're going to follow the darkness. Now, it's a worship night tonight, so we're going to have just a little bit short of a lesson. We want to make sure you have plenty of time in small groups to discuss. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into the passage, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. It says, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And you can see in this passage this sense, this big conflict between the light and the darkness. And you can see our call in verse 8. Look at the end of verse 8. Here's our call as Christians, is to walk as children of light. But it's prefaced with a comparison of what we are not, what we were before. You can look back at the beginning of verse 8. It says, at one time you were darkness. Now read that carefully. It doesn't say at one time you were in the darkness. No, it says at one time you were darkness. That means it was the very core of your being in your pre-Christian state. You weren't good people that stumbled. No, you were by very nature darkness. And even still today, you live in a kingdom of darkness. Satan and his forces rule this world, and most of the planet is just willingly going right along with him because people love the darkness. Why do people love the darkness? John chapter 3 gives us a little bit of insight into that. I got it on the screen behind me, verses 19 and 20. It says that this is the judgment, that light has come into the world. That's what we're talking about. But people love the darkness rather than the light. Well, why did they do that? Here it is, because their works were evil. And everyone who does wicked things, well, they hate the light. They don't even want to come into the light. And even as Christians, we've got a little bit of this remnant of our our old nature calling us, pulling us back. But we're called not to live like that anymore. We are children of light, not of darkness. So if you're going to live for the light, you're going to have to make an active effort against the darkness. Or as I put on your outline, point number one, see what I did here? You need to turn from the dark side. Yeah, turn from the dark side. I let my six-year-old help me with my sermon points this week. Excited about Star Wars, that little guy. But you get what we're saying here, right? As children of light, our lives are incompatible with sin and with darkness, and we have got to turn from that. Well, how do you turn from the dark side? Glad you asked. Passage gives us two ways. And to give you a little construct of how to think about this, you can think back to high school, I don't know, biology, science class. Think about it. When an animal confronts a predator, an enemy, it's got two choices, fight or flight. And we're going to see both of those in this passage. And we're going to start with the second one first, flight. I'll give you a little pointy finger on the screen there. first way we can turn from the, from the dark side is to flight, by fleeing from that. And we see that in verse 7. Verse 7 says, therefore do not become partners with them. We need to flee from them. Well, from who? From the people we talked about last week, verse 3 through 5, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, people that love the darkness. Well, why are we supposed to flee from them? Because we're not like them anymore. We don't do the things that they do, so it's inconsistent to be partners with them. What does that mean? Does that mean that we shouldn't have any contact whatsoever with non-believers? Of course not. That's not what it means. Otherwise, we'd be, we'd be monks. No, we, the reality is we live in the world. We've got to live in the world. But it means we shouldn't be partners in their immoral practices. We shouldn't be participating with them in their sin. You can't be light and darkness at the same time. You've got to choose one. You've got to embrace one. You've got to flee from the other. So what that means for most of us is we have to reevaluate our relationships. If you're going to do this, you're going to have to reevaluate 
your relationships. You're going to have to think about who you hang out with. Where do you spend most of your time? Where are your deepest relationships? Are they with Christians or are they with non-Christians? Because if most of your relationships are with non-Christians, you've got an issue because you are influenced by who you hang out with, for good or for bad. I mean, think about how you act in your non-Christian relationships. Specifically, think about the things that you say, how you speak. Maybe making jokes with your friends, maybe that are honestly a little, little improper, innuendos that aren't quite wholesome if we're honest with ourselves. Maybe hanging out at work, complaining about our job, complaining about our boss. Maybe even hanging out with our friends and even complaining about our husband or our wife. It happens. Maybe getting that juicy little bit of gossip from our neighbor or from our friend. If a relationship is not productive, you have got to flee from that. Don't be partners with them. And if it's, even if it's someone like a coworker or a neighbor where you can't physically get away from that relationship, you can at least minimize your interaction with them. If you find you're, you're making a lot of jokes, maybe you shouldn't at the lunchroom at work, don't have lunch with those people. Find somewhere else to eat. If you're getting gossip with that walk with that neighbor, don't go on walks with them. You've got to flee from those relationships. And guess what? If you do that, if you flee from these relationships, it's going to give you, it's going to give you some free time. What are you going to do with that time? What you're going to do is you're going to replace it with good Christian friendships. You realize that's why we have small groups here at Thrive, give you an opportunity to get in and build relationships one-on-one with other couples in your group, group accountability, building up relationships here in Thrive, doing this in women's and men's Bible study, home fellowship group, every spare hour you have, investing now in good, solid Christian relationships. You're going to have to say no to the world and its relationships. You're going to have to flee from that. And quite honestly, it might make them a little uncomfortable when you decline to participate in the things that they do. It's going to be hard, but God calls you to a higher standard. You've got to flee the darkness. That's, that's the first way you can turn from the dark side. But there's a second way, and it's not flight, but it's fight. We can fight the dark side. You've got pointy finger number two there. Fight the dark side. Separating from sin, flight, that's important. But if you're going to live as a child of the light, it's inevitable that you're going to have to eventually expose darkness and those around you. That's where our passage goes. Pick it up in verse 11. That's why it says, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We're supposed to expose them. Well, who are we supposed to expose? The context in this passage suggests this is other believers. You can see that in verse 12 because it says, For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Well, if this is unbelievers, they're not shameful. They're not doing it in secret. No, this is talking about believers. They're hiding their sin and doing it in secret. And besides that, confronting other believers with their sin is consistent with Jesus' teaching throughout the rest of the gospel. So what we're saying here is there's going to come a time, if you're going to live as a child of the light, that you're going to have to shine the spotlight on someone else's sin. If you're going to fight the darkness, you're going to have to confront fellow believers with their sin. But why are you doing this? It's to help them. That's why verse 13 says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And anything that becomes visible is light. You're going to turn their darkness back to light. You're going to turn them back to God. That's why the passage ends by saying, and Christ will shine on you. They'll get Christ's approval again because you've turned them from the darkness to the light. Now, warning here, this is not always going to be well received. Anyone that's disciplined and unruly child knows this is the case. 
You might get a hostile reaction, but you've always got to remember you're doing this for their good. The purpose is to help them. It's like I think back to when my younger son was, I don't know, he's probably no more than one, one and a half, and barely could walk. And my wife caught him walking all the way up the stairs in our house. We got this big curved stairways, and she caught him almost all the way at the top, but not on the stair side. He was on the railing side, just hanging there about 12 feet off the ground. So my wife's confronted with a choice. Do I run up and get him, or do I wait at the bottom until he falls? <laughs> my wife's a smart cookie, so she figures this out. She has my oldest son go up and grab him until she can run up and get him. Now, she got him, and he was safe, but she gave him a spanking after that. Why did he get a spanking? Because my wife is mean? Because she likes exposing bad behavior? Is that why she did that? Of course not. She did it so that he would understand what he did was wrong, so that he would understand that there was danger in what he did, and so that he wouldn't do that again. My wife cared enough to discipline him. When was the last time you did this? You cared enough about someone else to confront them. Hey, man, I'm a sinner. I, I, I don't feel right confronting someone else. Well, if your sin is keeping you from doing this, well, deal with your own sin. Then you can be prepared to help someone else. Hey, I, I think they might not like it. They, they might get bad. They might. But you also got to understand if this relationship is worth anything, they will appreciate it in the long run. Or, hey, Bible, Bible says don't be judgmental. I don't, I don't want to be judgmental. Bible says don't judge hypocritically. It says don't judge people's motives. But there is a clear call in Scripture to do this, to shine a light on sin with the purpose of correcting. Now, you live in a community. As a Christian, you've got a requirement to that community to help to help those that fall into sin. Now, of course, there's rules how to do this. Matthew 18 tells us first you've got to confront people privately before publicly. And you have to do this with love, and you have to do this with care, and you have to do this with humility, understanding that you sin too, but you've got to do this. In your Thrive Small Groups, in your accountabilities, in your one-on-one -on -one relationships, if you don't care enough to do this, you don't care enough. And you're not doing your job as children of the light, turning others from the darkness. So this whole thing, this, is, this has been the negative side here, right? We've been talking about darkness. But there is, there's a positive side here because it's not enough just to get away from the evil. We've got to now embrace our new nature. Looking back at our passage, the nature is what it talks about at the end of verse 8. We already looked at this. Walk as children of the light. Or as I put on your outline, point number two, we need to pursue the light. It's not just enough to turn from the darkness. We've got to now pursue the light. Well, how do I do that? You've got to understand what light is. And first and foremost, God is light. The Bible says that often. So what this is telling us is that we need to live in a way that reflects the characteristics of God himself. That's why verse 9 goes right on to, to explain some of those characteristics of the light. Verse 9 says, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. We've got to be good. We've got to show kindness, benevolence to others. Connotation with this word is often uh, material, sharing material wealth. We've got to be generous with what we have. We've got to be right. We've got to behave in an upright and in a pure manner. We've got to be true. We've got to tell the truth. We've got to have behavior that's, that's honest, that's not 
deceptive. God's the very embodiment of these characteristics, and he expects his children to do the same thing. You, you need to do your best to imitate God. And verse 10 gives us the key in how to do this. It says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We need to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The word discern, if you look at this Greek word, it's got the idea of, of examining and verifying, like you might do with a, a precious metal or a stone. And think of the imagery of the guy with the big eyepiece just staring at a diamond, just staring at it, studying it in detail. We've got to approach God that same way. Spending time discerning, studying, you've got to work at it. That's why I used on the outline, pursue. Just this connotation, you've got to put some effort against this. Because you see what's going on here. You can't just say, well, God wants you to be good and right and true. Because those are just general moral guidelines. Discerning what specifically God wants you to do in any particular situation, that's a little more complicated. You need to know what to say in the lunchroom at work when the conversation turns to, to evolution or, or to same-sex marriage. You've got to know, well, what does God want me to say here? Or when the financial need arrives, well, should I give? Well, how much should I give? Questions in your family. Should we move? Should we have another kid? Even questions, am I, how do I better support my husband who's maybe struggling a little bit in his job? Or I know I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Am I doing that? How can I do that better? You need to know what God wants you to do in the particulars of your life. It's kind of like when I sold, I sold my car last year, and I did this on, I did it on Craigslist, which is a very interesting experience. Never sold my car on Craigslist before. You get all sorts of people that come out to look at your car when you sell it on Craigslist. Some people know a whole lot about cars. Some people don't know anything about cars. And I had this guy come out and look at it. He didn't know a thing about cars. Which is trouble because now there's two of us because I don't know anything about cars either. So we're just going around staring at the car and we're you know, kicking the tire a little bit. And after a couple minutes, I think because there's a car there and because we're dudes, he just felt compelled to say, hey, can you, uh, can you pop the hood? I said, sure, pop the hood. We popped up, hey, there's an engine in there. We both kind of stared at it for about 20 sec or 10 seconds or so. And I said, you good? He's like, yeah, close it up. He didn't know what he was looking at. I had another guy come out. He knew exactly what he was looking for. And he picked out every flaw that was wrong in the car. He took it for a test drive. He pointed out every positive and every negative. And he knew enough that he actually ended up buying the car. But you see, folks, too often as followers of God, we approach him and we approach the Christian life kind of like that first guy. Well, we kind of know what to do, good, right, true. But when push comes to shove, we really don't know. Holiness it doesn't happen by accident. You have got to work at it. You have got to pursue God. You need to know what is good and right and true. And what does that mean in my marriage? What does good and right and true mean at work? What does it mean in my job? What does it mean in, with my neighbors, with my family relationships? It means you've got to be working, seeking, pursuing God's will in every area of your life. It means you've got to be studying the scriptures first and foremost. There should never be a day that goes by that you are not diving deep into God's word. Being encouraged by verses like Psalm 119 and 105, it says, Your word, it's, it's a lamp for my feet, it's a light for my path. Your word can show me the direction to go. Well, maybe you've got a, a specific issue that's not specifically addressed in scripture. 
Well, pick up a Christian book. We've got an entire bookstore right across the way that can help you with this. You've got some bumps in your marriage. You want to know how to better live out your role as a godly husband or a godly wife? Pick up a book on that. Seek some counsel. Get some godly counsel. Most of you, most of you have mentors in your, in your small groups. Hopefully you have mentors in your life in general, people that have been through the things you've been through. They can help you. And most of all, pray. Always pray about this. But let me implore you. Let me encourage you. Do not be passive about this. You've got to be active. You've got to pursue it. You've got to put time. You've got to put energy. And you've got to put effort against this. But let me encourage you. If you do so, you're going to have a life that's more pleasing to God. You're a new creation. You once were darkness, now you're light. And yet you still live in a world of darkness, but you're not like that. You're not like that anymore, and you've got lives that are now incompatible with darkness. So you've got to turn, turn from that darkness. And you do that first by by fleeing from it, from getting away from relationships that aren't wholesome and replacing it with good Christian relationships with people in this room. And then you fight it, you confront sin, And other believers, doing it lovingly, doing it humbly, but understanding, honestly, it's more loving to do that than just ignore it. And then positively, you've got to turn to the light. You've got to pursue the light, pursue knowledge of God. Not just surface knowledge, but understanding the intricacies, understanding the details of God's will, knowing what God wants you to do in each and every situation that you face. And I promise you, you will be more effective living for God if you do that. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for this encouragement we have to to live as children of light. And thank you for this reminder that we are not of the darkness. And we live in a world of darkness, but your call for us is to not be like that. And I encourage all of us in this room to turn from any remnant of the darkness that still has a hold in our life, any relationship that's not proper, anything that is, is not good and true. And we pursue you, Lord. I just pray for a good time of discussion right now. Help us understand how we can do this in our lives, what specifically and what tangibly can we do to better understand your will, better understand as I get up tomorrow morning, this weekend, knowing what it is that you want me to do so that at the end of the day I can say, you know what, I lived, I lived today exactly like you wanted me to live. Help us to pursue your will and pursue the light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.